It's October 22nd, 2007, and this is The Candid Frame. Today's guest is Sean Arbabi, and he was one of the many photographers who I shared the floor with recently in Chicago for the uh, Better Photo Summit. And uh, I conducted two interviews while there. This is the first of two that uh, you're going to hear in the the coming weeks. And I wanted to interview Sean because I heard, not only did I hear him speak speak and see uh, his images, but I also had the chance to just sort of sit down and talk with him. And, you know, I felt very simpatico with him in terms of the way that uh, he approaches photography and the way he sees how we not only use the camera to to make pictures but what we try to express in 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 our photographs and I think he has also a very unique sense in his approach to photography in terms of uh, of it as a business and I think the insight that he brings into the conversation was an important one not only for me to hear but I thought for you for you as well and uh, as you take a look at his, his website, and I'll have a link for it on, on the blog as usual, you'll discover that he's a very versatile photographer. He's an accomplished nature and travel photographer, as well as having produced a lot of work for advertising, corporate, and editorial clients. His, his pictures have appeared everywhere, many of which you've probably seen, even though you may not have known the name and the person associated with it. But uh, I think you really are going to enjoy the conversation. I know I did. It was rolled late in the evening, and we recorded it in his hotel room after a long day uh, at the summit. And we're both a bit tired, but we both found ourselves being very energized by the conversation. And we probably could have taken it on, uh, gone and continued speaking for a lot longer. But we both had to get up early in the morning. But uh, here's just a bit of what we talked about during that weekend. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Sean Arbati. Well, welcome, Sean. It's, it's Thank you great, very much. Great to have you on the show. I, I, I wanted to interview you last year, but uh, you had to leave soon after. I did. Soon yes. after, but uh, yeah, because I, I love your work. Thank and, you. And I want to talk about it, particularly about uh, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about during lunch today in terms of the business. But you bet. Let's let's start off with your your beginnings as as a photographer. Well, I started off uh, at 11 years old. I knew I was going to be a photographer. Don't ask me how. I picked up a camera and always knew. And um, in high school, I got an F in photography. <laughs> so it kind of uh, proves a point where you can always come from someplace and um, and get to another place. Uh, but uh, in the late 80s, I read a book uh, by a photographer named Galen Rowell called Mountain Light. And it was the first connection at 17 years old that I had with another photographer of the way he photographed, the thought process behind it all. And that was my connection with uh, with what I was doing at a 17-year-old kid that really didn't understand my creative mind. So I went off uh, to Brooks in 88 and finished my Bachelor of Arts in commercial photography there, sent out 150 resumes, and I got no job offers, so I started my business myself. I then turned with Dean Collins and a uh, commercial photographer in San Diego, and just realized that it wasn't necessarily brain surgery. I could, I could see if I could do it. So I started photographing things I wanted to and began my business from there. Um, with the Brooks background, I had 
a lighting background uh, that I could use as, and I got a job as a studio photographer three days a week and that gave me time four days a week to build my outdoor business and so now it's been 17 years and uh, doing well, it full time tell me a little more about how you tied your, your passion for photography with your interest for, for the outdoors because I think um, I stress to my students a lot about, about what are your passions outside of photography yeah. because often you'll find your strengths as a photographer in the very things that you're passionate about. I completely agree. It's one of the things that I talk about in workshops. I tell people that if you, in business workshops, if you want to do this, it's like a tree. You want to get to that top middle branch. And the left branch and right branch are things and people that are pulling you different directions. Will you shoot my wedding? Will you photograph my children? And there's nothing wrong with any photographing weddings or children, but if you enjoy nature photography, I would instead sacrifice the money at the time, and being younger, it worked for me, for uh, spending time on my business to send out to magazines and, and get a stock agency and go out and shoot nature and travel work and adventure work that I was interested in. So as I moved away uh, from 91 to 95, I shot studio work half the time, but each year I would move away more and more. And finally, by 95, I was doing outdoor photography full-time. And so you really... The one thing as far as reaching your goals is you have to stay on that path. And once you do, you are better at it because you're so much more passionate at it. So um, so I followed that. And, I, and I've evolved, as we all do as humans, from being 22 and interested in kayaking and backpacking and getting almost to being 40 years old next year and uh, transitioning towards um, doing a little bit higher-end advertising-style work that doesn't take me away as much, but still pays a little bit better than uh, than editorial is. Because I learned on in the mid-90s and late-90s that editorial was a 30-and-under industry. I think uh, uh, Ed Cashy, a very well-known National Geographic photographer, said, this has become a 30-and-under industry. And I, we watched the change of editorial with the rates never increasing over a 15, 20 year period, the influx of stock and agencies making better profits but photographers making less and I just realized that for me to stay in it I had to change and adapt with the times. Um, we were talking earlier, I don't know if you and I were speaking about it, but what I realized early on is that every three or four years I would change my business model, <clears throat> I would maybe adapt and move into a few other things that I'd wanted to, but thought maybe it was because I wasn't making enough money or the first business model wasn't working. Now, after 15, 17 years, I realize you have to change every three to four years. That's what it's about. And that change is good. That's what. That's how you stay progressing and moving up in, in an industry. So. And I think it's, it's an important point because a lot of photographers, in order to survive, um, sometimes adapt their their way of doing business, but they're often often steered by what's making them money, yes. which leads them away from what was their passion. So yes. at, at some point, the photography that they love becomes yet a, just another job. That's and right. So how did you keep from falling into that trap? You make sacrifices. Um, people ask, how do you become a photographer and working photographer? And I say, well, one thing that does help is being younger. You don't have that mortgage children right off the bat, those big overhead. 
But another way, which really worked for me as a nature and outdoor photographer, is I might have wanted to go. I might have wanted to go to China or Argentina, but I had this big resource of California right in my backyard, and it was uh, um, it was free. It was cheap. It was easy to travel to Yosemite or the Golden Gate Bridge or wherever it may be and capture nature and travel shots right in my backyard using the resource that I had. So that helped a lot. Um, you have to be persistent. And a big key that I talk about in business workshops is that um, you have to treat your photography like a photo business, like any other business. You have to you have to do all the things that any other successful business does. There really is no difference in being a full-time photographer or being in the restaurant business or architecture or whatever it may be. You really have to operate it like a business. And if and the successful people in photography are the ones that are good at that. And they would be successful in any other industry because you have to be persistent. You have to get along with people. You have to multitask and organize. And I always joke if I'm a Gemini, and I don't necessarily believe in astrology, but if I'm a Gemini, I love being creative and free and open-minded on that end. But I also love being highly organized and detailed. And that's just a lucky trait that I think I had that really helps me do both as a creative side of photography and being business minded so I've just interviewed um, Dennis Keeley who is the uh, the chair of the uh, photo and imaging department at Art Center College of Design okay and we were talking about this 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 whole idea that here you have this age where the demand photography has increased because of the web and and but in terms of Photographers' ability to make a living, the value of what they produce has sort of yeah. steadily gone down, and there's a there's a real struggle for photographers to be able to not only sort of eke out a living, but to be able to sort of assert themselves in terms of saying, I deliver a certain level of quality That's correct. and consistency and professionalism that is worth a certain amount. Yes. Considering that the, that the industry as a whole is demanding photographers produce more work for less, yes. how do you um, sort of address that? Because I think it's an anxiety for a lot of a lot it's of an anxiety for me too, and we were also talking about during lunch of being real and and being truthful about it. And when people look at my website and look at images I've shot or magazine covers, they think, "Wow, you're doing so much! You're so successful! You're getting jobs all the time!" And that is just not the case. You are reinventing yourself every year. You are marketing every year. You are saying no to jobs that really aren't going to be much of a profit and you bite and you cringe and you you know you get anxious about it but the power of no is another important aspect you have to educate clients about what you need to charge to make a living Um, and uh, that starts off way back when you're starting your business by building a salary overhead spreadsheet realizing how much it costs you how much salary you want to make and how many days you're going to shoot a year and putting that together into realizing what you need to charge but um it's definitely true. You have to uh, stay on top of everything. And it, it, when you get to this spot in your career, it doesn't mean that jobs just start flowing in. So you diversify and uh, you try to separate yourself from the rest. One way I did it with editorial photography is I had a lighting background. So I could say, I'm not just going to go to the Florida Keys and shoot nature and landscape pictures, but I'll take six bags that are 75 pounds with me 
and I will get lighting gear there, and I'll shoot portraits of chefs. I'll do wildlife. I'll do travel scenes. And I just didn't want to do them just to do them, but I wanted to do them um, well, all of them well. And so um, that I could really give a full picture of the Florida Keys, um, whereas the other photographer that might just be carrying a 35-millimeter backpack couldn't do as much. So it was uh, extra gear and extra lighting and extra time, but uh, it paid off. And as far as, you know, we joke, we joke about it, you know, People say, how do you stay in the business? And we say, you stay in the business by staying in the business. <laughs> um, because somebody's going to hire you at some point. I learned early on, too. I remember sending out promotional material to many clients, as we all do. Three by five cards or four by six postcards. And I sent one out to uh, um, a division of Nikon for a couple of years. Um, probably 800 to 1,000 different clients. Didn't Spoke to some of them. Didn't speak to all of them. And I remember one point... Three years into it, an editor called and said, you've been sending me promo cards for the past three years. And I thought he was going to say, stop, you know, please. And he said, no, I've been saving all of these in a folder. I want to do a story on you. They paid $2,400 for the stock images. And it was, again, one of those lessons of keep doing what you're doing. If you believe in your gut feeling you're doing the right thing, then keep moving along because persistence pays off. If you believe your work is a value. Um, you have to keep going on because there's a lot of rejection in the industry. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of change. And um, no photographer necessarily out there has just got it carte blanche. Everything's being handed to them. They're working extremely hard every day. And that's uh, another reason why I've tried not to follow other photographers. You can't. You get, get caught up in wanting to do what they're doing and trying to get in the magazines that they're in. You just have to follow your own path, and that's the best way. Again, it goes back to being passionate about what you're doing. If if you are yourself, it you'll find that mold for you in your business. And uh, it's hard to put in a tangible way, but uh, you have to um, really not go follow anybody else's path but your own. One of the challenges about being a professional photographer is oftentimes you're spending most of your time not shooting, but marketing, selling, yes. getting business, making sure that That's the bills right. are paid and you're able to sustain it over the long term. And it makes it all the more difficult to learn and sort of grow as a photographer because all of a sudden... You bet. You know, you're only shooting maybe 10 or, 10, 10 or 20% of the time. That's right. If you're so, lucky, yeah. So how do you keep from becoming sort of stagnant because if you if you don't grow as a photographer all of a sudden you end up competing by people who have learned yes. you know the latest stuff and yes. so how do you especially you, you know you got kids you got you got family oh you're working you know? long hours yeah uh, so how do you how do you make that time for yourself to be able to do you that? have to you have to really uh, live it you immerse yourself in the industry you read articles here and there i'm a manual reader i like reading manuals i can go through them um Maybe if you can't, I've never done it myself, but maybe if you need to take a workshop here and there on Photoshop to get up to date, um, there's nothing wrong with that. For sure, you, it's good to do. I've never done it. I've self-taught uh, on most things, and and, uh, and it's just long hours and, and loving. You don't, even, you don't even think about the hours. You just do it because you love it, and you try to fit it in with kids. And family life, it definitely takes you know a lot of extra time away that you might be able to do that 
but you work nights, you work <laughs> days, and uh, and you just try to pick up as much as you can from every different little source. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to stay on top because it's changing so fast. Um, I'm writing a book right now, and and also teaching workshops uh, with Better Photo this past year. You learn from students of what they want, and if you're a little bit weak on a certain specific subject, you read up on it and get cut up uh, and. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not an expert on histogram or white balance or Photoshop. I don't claim to be, but I have to add those things to my students. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so you just every little bit helps. Like we were talking about reading a, an article about Lightroom on the flight coming over. So um, you just try to do as much as you can. And when it comes down to it, I'm still a photographer, so it's still all about apertures and shutter speeds and lighting and and managing a photo shoot um, and a budget and all that. So yeah. that's, that's what, a, a big portion of it still. Looking at your images, I'm really, what I'm really impressed by is, is the sensibility in terms of lighting and color. You Thank know, you. You use, them, you use them so effectively. And what really amazes me is the fact that I'm seeing it across the board. There's a consistency in your work, whether it's done in a really controlled environment or whether it's done, you know, sort of on location, mm-hmm. which is, I, I think, fantastic, because I oftentimes don't see it sort of as a, as a common thread. I'll see a, a certain quality of work in the studio and a slightly different sort of uh, look when they're doing it sort of Thank outdoors. You. Yeah, well, it's, I admire photographers like Jay Maisel and other um, image makers that didn't matter where they were, they just created a great scene. That is where I want to get to as an artist. Whether it's photographing a medical room in Costa Rica or photographing a landscape in Alaska, whatever it is, being able to produce a high-quality image from it. It's a hindrance in some ways because when it comes to ad agencies, they want to see a specific style and they want to see very small niche type of stuff, small people in large landscapes, car photography, whatever it may be, they only want to see you do one thing and one thing well. So it doesn't necessarily help as much there, but I believe I'm an image maker, and in any situation I have to know how to light it. And there are so many amazing outdoor photographers that don't have that background, and when they try, they fall short of producing a high-quality strobe image. And so um, I appreciate you saying that, um, but it's uh, um, as far as the way I photograph... I'm just trying to progress as an artist every year. I'm pigeonholed. I don't know how it's turning out and how other people are viewing it. That's another reason why I don't want pe- I don't want to teach people to shoot like me. I want to teach people to find their personal visions because um, I'm color and composition. That's always come very natural to me. Uh, photography has come very natural to me. So how can you teach that? You have to teach techniques and and uh, technical elements of it. But you can't teach somebody beyond that. Of, of If it doesn't come natural, they have to find the way they see. They have to learn how to recognize how they see the world. Um, so I've always been about not building 20 cookie-cutter Sean R. Bobbies at a workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I hear people say, oh, doesn't this look like an Ansel Adam Im- image or doesn't this look like a Galen Rowell image, they're at a stage where they're emulating their mentors. That's wonderful. But you want to push past that as an artist. Uh, 
as early on as you can and start to try to do the work that that you believe in. Um, again, it goes back to I often stop myself from trying to compare with other. I can I, I look at other photographers' work because that keeps you on your toes. Amazing work out there. There's so many amazing photographers, and I think it's wonderful to compare and say does does my quality come close to theirs and match theirs. But when it comes to the body of work you're doing, you Jen, you just have to keep following your own path. Mm. And uh, we talked about this as well at lunch. Um, I also think it's extremely important when you're talking to other photographers to tell them about the pros and cons. They think the grass is so green on your side and you're a working travel photographer. Wow, that's so great. It is wonderful in many ways, but it's not necessarily... um, always a traveling vacation shooting it's never a traveling vacation shooting and in 2006 I lost 8 of my top jobs the the highest uh, jobs I'd had for a couple of years all by chance cancelled because of weather because of budget cuts and when it comes to those types of things that happen it's, I think it's good to let people know that, um, that uh, it's not always uh you know, just raking it in. I don't have to call anybody. I'm getting jobs left and right. Yeah. It's not that way. Well, one of the things is that you have to constantly be marketing yourself because That's you right. have to make people uh, aware of who you are because, like you said, you can't count that on the fact that the clients that you had last year are going to be here no. this year. So you're constantly having to, you know, promote yourself and hopefully begin new relationships. And I often stress that that, that when you're doing a promotion or you're marketing yourself you're not so much trying to get a job you're really trying to build a relationship so you can get more than just that that's right that one job but that's right when you're targeting or or trying to find people that you're going to approach how do you do it because there's one way where you just sort of send out two or three thousand promotion cards and then there's another one where you're doing more research you know and you're you're not uh, reaching out to as many people, but okay. it's sort of a an, an kind of a niche marketing right. campaign. Right. So, how how do you work it? Do you use a combination of the two? Or? I use a combination, but to be truthful, I don't think I've mastered you know mark the marketing aspect. We always need more money and more time and more people to be able to market. But uh, I may market in some of the photo directories. I may send out individual pieces. Uh, mail- mailers. I send out email campaigns. But the one thing that I always have done, whether it's phone calls, marketing campaigns, whatever it may be, I try to put myself in the position of the client. And that's one thing I think has worked very well. You think about the editor that's getting a call from 50 photographers a month. What does he or she want? And you have to think about if you're organizing a shoot, what do they want? And one thing that I have been good at, that I, I, I'm uh, proud of, is that I've always been told we can give you a job and we don't have to worry about it come rain or shine. And uh, you you will come back with excellent work and you'll fit into the budget or you'll let us know what you, know, what you might have had to add on. But um, I think that's the number one that ties into marketing and advertising with your client, you have to uh, think about what they want first. So one of the things I've done is when I email, send email campaigns, I always tell them if they want to get removed to let me know. When they do, 
And I, I contact them back again and say, listen, would you like me to contact the database company that I get your name from to have you removed from that database so that you're not getting it from all these other photographers? And they're elated. So now I've taken them from being slightly bothered with my email to, oh, he really cares, you know. I don't, I, I'm, I don't buy photography, and I keep getting these from photographers. Can you please contact your company? And so you always have to think about their side, about their job, and what their needs are. Um, uh, I'm rarely thinking about uh, selling my photography more than I am thinking about what they're, what they're, I mean, what they're looking for. I'm shooting what I want to shoot, and yes, you have to put a campaign together of what you think is your strongest work and all of that. But it's mostly thinking about their needs. Do I need to show nature photography to an ad agency that has all food clients? It may not work. So, you, so I have an, a database that I am typing notes like crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Maria has three children and one just went into college, you know, in 2007. I think being personable on that level um, is important. And, uh, and I've definitely done that as well. I've added more of my personality in the past few years into my business because... Um, before I didn't think it was professional and now I realize that um, part of your personality is okay if you keep it in a professional manner. Yeah. So, You do a lot of commercial and advertising work and oftentimes they're coming um, to you with a sort of a concept and then it may be very thought out to the point where they have everything sure. down the way they, they want it to look like. Other times they may have uh, maybe a little more nebulous and they're asking more for your input yes. you know, in it. Um, but it's sort of a um, a fine balance. A fine balance, yeah, that you have to achieve in terms of you they're bet. hiring you for, for your sensibility, but oftentimes they want something that they not, may, may not be able to completely verbalize. Yes, you know, and express it. They, they have a general sense, and it's basically they'll know it when they see it. Yes, but it's on your shoulders to That's be right. able to deliver it. So when you are you're working with with people in respect to that, how do you? I think part of that confidence or that com- that comes with experience. Um, part of it definitely does. You have to have some of that experience and and have seen what has happened in the past and maybe um, not 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 has gone perfectly. Luckily, I've never blown a shoot. <laughs> They've always clients have always been pleased with the with the work. I've never had anybody complain heavily about the job, but. You have to understand the concept. You have to communicate. And a big red flag for me is when I have a client that doesn't want to communicate that much. That, to me, begins to say, wait a minute. I mean, the more you should be open to communication and explaining this concept to me because the more I know about it, the better. When it comes to articles, if I have a rough draft of an editorial article, I will read as much as I can on the location I'm going to, and then I'll read the article as well. And... I truly believe it somehow ties into your subconscious when you're shooting out there. You get this autumn, warm feeling from the the writer's point of view, and you start gravitating towards that type of work. Um, when it comes to advertising, the same thing. You try to match with the concepts, um, walk through, because you're with a bigger budget, through every step of the hiring process with models and, and uh, stylists and all that. And then when you get on a shoot, if your art director starts or your client starts going off on a tangent, you have to make sure you get the initial concept first. And that becomes a fine line of trying to balance saying, okay, they see something different they want to do, 
but they're not going to remember that when the film comes back or when the images come back. They're going to just remember, wait a minute, you didn't get the concept we wanted. So they've hired you for a reason, and you have to show them and try to gain their confidence that you have that ability. It's not always easy, and it gets tougher because on occasion you have very young art directors in place um, or people that are in charge of a, an, a, of, of uh, hiring art in a in a corporation that may not know anything about photography and they just think you're getting behind the camera and clicking away. So again, it ties into people skills, you know. It's it's about being able to communicate and share your idea, hopefully get them on back on path where you think they need to go and what they want without embarrassing them, without um, making them, you know, belittling them. And uh, I love that. I love trying to do that because I love... I think that's uh, collaboration makes the best uh, end products. So, yeah, and that's another thing, too. You have to be open to change, and you have to be willing to, to, to hear from clients because if you're not, that means you're insecure about your abilities. So you have to prepare and prepare and make sure you know what you're doing. And even though you do that, we always walk into a job still nervous as heck, you know, and, and thinking, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do this. And that used to bother me before, but now it doesn't because I realize that that keeps me on my toes. It doesn't make me complacent, and um, it makes me do the best job I can because I'm slightly nervous. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's, there's no... Um, straight formula to it for sure it's just trying to gain their confidence um but you get it a lot they hire you for your images they love it and they get you on on the shoot and it's like they don't they don't think you know anything about photography so you just have to try to redirect them back in and uh, what's the best part of of being a photographer for you now because it's it may have been different when you were starting off when younger but yes. now that you've been around, you're older, and you recognize all the challenges of making of making it as a career. But in terms yeah. of creating images... Well, I think... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I think you nailed it uh, because I think you're at that stage as well. And we've morphed... Um, uh, when it was early on, I wanted to be a nature travel photographer because I wanted to see the world. I wanted to do amazing things, go to amazing places. And what I've learned is the best part, which I it's so, so so simple. I should have realized it on early on that it's the people, it's people that I meet, and people always want to know the most amazing place you've been. And I've been to the deepest jungles of Borneo and met Pinan tribesmen, and to the Andes in Argentina and rode with the gauchos, and that sounds wonderful and exciting. But I did my first shoot for Sunset Magazine in a state park, a couple hundred miles away from my home on a hot day and I hiked up to the top of this ridge photographing and I just realized it was in the early 90s that I was living my dream and that was one of the moments I'll never forget or I met um, a a family of hay farmers in Dillon, Montana camping they invited me over and uh, we had breakfast together and I'll never forget that morning and that's another wonderful aspect of our job is that we meet people when they're happy and they're on vacation and uh, it's definitely the people. I mean, that is, that's definitely the strongest and best part of photography. And I hope to keep sharing that and, and even building a big, wider pool of people to meet because uh, it's, uh, I talk about all my workshops, it's, so much of it is a metaphor for life. 
you know you start getting frustrated because you've been dropped off by a helicopter in the wrong place and this is a horrible spot to be and the weather breaks and you get this extraordinary picture and you think patience man you're, sp- you're put in a place for a reason and um, or you you start dealing with a difficult art director and uh, um, and you find a way to get them on your side and you realize they've been having a bad day and instead of fighting it and and butting heads you've made them feel better about themselves and you've done the job and so it's just it's not even it's the end image but it's not even that for me it's just about connecting with people I tell people and I truly mean this I don't care what happens to my images when I when I move on my if I have if I'm lucky to have any legacy it's from how I treated people and that is how I want to be recognized for my family and friends and so um, it's a big part of my business and I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of people and we're all so different we're all so much the same mm-hmm. and that's that's a pretty amazing experience to have so I'm that's very blessed great. and lucky yeah well the way I always end the show is that I asked a photographer to recommend one other photographer who they think listeners should should check out uh, okay. who, who's either been an inspiration or who they've come upon recently who they've really liked uh, who would that be for you and why? Oh, man, that's hard. I have so many. Um, I really believe that uh, as wonderful of a photographer Ansel Adams was and, and extraordinary imagery, um, there are thousands of them out there. And I believe that if you want to be any bit good in, in a craft, you should learn about the history and what's been done from Edward Murray Bridge of these grand landscapes across the West to Yusuf Karsh, you know, from the Winston Churchill photograph he did, um, Joseph Kudelka, Robert Kappa, war photographer, um, um, Diane Arbus in the 60s, snapshot photographs that weren't snap, just snapshots. Mm-hmm. So for me, I mean, and Jay Mizell these days, um, oh, there's so many photographers. I don't know if I could come up with one, but uh, I, I admire many photographers. Uh, Jody Cobb, um, um, you know, male and female across the board. One photographer I love. I could never do war photography, but I, I would say if I could pick somebody right off the bat, James Knockway did a book called Deeds of War. Mm-hmm. And extraordinary war photography I could never do because um, I don't have that personality. And he could connect with people and still have deep passion for them yet photograph these horrific moments yet it's beautiful in a strange way and so um there's a lot of them out there yeah, yeah. but that's I, that's a great suggestion there's a documentary that was done on him a couple of years ago oh yeah that's right yeah, that was he's one of the amazing. one war photographers that's lived many of them have died yeah and he's come close a couple of times but yeah, yeah, yeah so great recommendation yeah well thank you thank you so much it thank was you a real pleasure to have you on the show my pleasure thank you Thanks again for joining me for the show. One last thing that I wanted to mention that I forgot to do in the intro is is if you're interested in subscribing to the show but don't want to go through iTunes, you're able to do that by subscribing to the RSS feed. For whatever reason, I'm not able to provide the RSS feed if you visit thecandidframe.com. But if you visit thecandidframe.blogspot.com, you'll find the RSS feed link in the address bar. I don't know why it's not available by visiting 
thecandidframe.com, but you can definitely access it by just adding .blogspot.com to the Candid Frame. And there you'll find the RSS feed, as I mentioned. If anyone has any insight as to why both addresses don't provide the RSS feed, please send me an email and let me know so I can fix that. If you have any comments or suggestions about the show, though, you can email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com. Dot com.